0: Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm your host, Dan Carson, pastor of Family Ministries here at Calvary. And I'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you're looking for more information about our church, you can find us on social media or you can go to our website, calvaryfayetteville.com. You can call us at 479-442-4634 or send us an email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our study on the church with a message entitled The Meaning of Membership, taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 6. Let's listen together.
1: Our text today is going to be from Ephesians chapter 3. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, page number 977. If you want to read out of one of the um, uh, Pew Bibles, there in the book rack in front of you, we are in the midst of a series of messages on the church of Christ. And uh, we're not speaking of the denomination uh, that goes by that name or title, we have reference to uh, the Lord's church, whatever name it bears. Uh, We are talking about the Lord's true church and what it means to be a part of His true church. Today I want to talk about the meaning of membership. Every team has a roster. Every school has an enrollment. Every business has a payroll. Every army has an enlistment. Even our country takes a census and requires voter registration. Well, at least we used to require voter registration. Who knows what the rules are anymore? So, where did the idea come from that it's not important for a church to have a membership? By the way, that is unpopular today. Where do we ever get the idea that a person can be a Christian, can be a Christ follower without being committed to a church family? And maybe we need to ask the question really kind of in an inverse order there. Can a person truly be following Christ if they are neglecting what is so central to the Christian life, as is described in the New Testament. We live in an age where very few want to be committed to, well, anything, a job, a marriage, our country. This attitude has even produced a generation of disconnected, free agent Christians, People who live individualistic, me-first lifestyles. Membership in a local church swims against the current of America's consumer religion. It is an unselfish decision. You see, commitment builds character. Commitment builds character. Non-commitment diminishes character. Non-commitment, in whatever realm you want to describe it and apply it, diminishes character. New Testament church membership, as described in the New Testament, is a covenant, not a convenience. Convenience. Scripture says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it, Ephesians 5.25. And so I ask you, should we do anything less? The church is not the AAA Auto Club, just there when you have an emergency, but out of sight and out of mind the rest of the time. The church is not Freemasonry with secret signals, symbols, and handshakes closed to the outside world. A local church is not just a building or a place. Hear this definition. It's rather long. It's a rather clumsy sentence, perhaps, but I think it sums up what the church is. The church is a people, more specifically A local church is born-again, spirit-filled people who gather regularly in the name of the Lord Jesus and under the authority of God's Word to profess the true gospel and to affirm each other's citizenship in the kingdom of God by the ordinances. Well, what are the responsibilities then of church membership? What is my responsibility as a member of Calvary Baptist Church? What is your responsibility of Calvary Baptist Church or wherever you perhaps hold membership today? If you remember last week, I mentioned that our new members that we're going to celebrate uh, this evening, that we're going to recognize and acknowledge 10 new members to our church congregation, that they have made four commitments to be a church member here. Those four commitments are these I will protect the unity of my church, I will share the responsibility. Of my church. I will serve the ministry of my church. And I will support the testimony of my church. Now, we could flesh out any one of those or all four of those with specific ways that we do that. But looking at the second and third, I will share the responsibility of my church. I will serve the ministry of my church. What are the responsibilities? What what are those things that God expects of me? What are those things that the New Testament talks about? And before answering that question, let me say this. In an individualistic and consumeristic culture, the very notion that church members bear significant responsibilities comes as a surprise to many Christians, there, there are some who have their name on the church roll of Calvary Baptist Church. That if you were to say to them, Did you know that there are responsibilities you are supposed to fulfill that we are supposed to fulfill together? you would get maybe a very surprised look. For sometimes people feel like they are doing the church a favor. By having their name on the rolls. That membership has its privileges. And certainly there are some. But that's not why we join a church. You see, responsibility and church membership go hand in hand. It's like a hand in a glove. You you simply can't have one without the other. Wherever in life... You have a defined group of people, whether it's a civic organization, whether it's a sports team, whether it's some kind of recreation league, whether it's some kind of uh, of hobby uh, league, whatever it is, membership always has requirements. You have to pay dues, you have to attend meetings, you have to participate. So we have this key truth, and I hope you'll try to remember it, maybe even write it down. And the key truth is this. Realities determine and establish responsibilities. The reality of whatever that organization is and what its goals and objectives are will establish and will define what the responsibilities are. And in case of the church, the local church, understand, it is gospel realities that define our responsibilities. It's the advancement of the gospel, what the gospel has done in our lives. What God wants to do through our lives with the gospel that defines our responsibilities. Now, let's go back to that definition. This time, we'll put it on the screen. A local church is born again, spirit filled people who gather regularly in the name of the Lord Jesus and under the authority of God's word to profess the true gospel. And affirm each other's citizenship in the kingdom of God by the ordinances. Now, if we were to spend some time breaking that down and looking at it, basically, you're going to have two things that are going to emerge from it. The church is made up of people that have a unique identity, the true church is not just anybody that has a name on a church roll somewhere. The true church is not even just anybody that's been baptized or or maybe attends even a, a local congregation somewhere regularly. The identity of the true church is that we are a new creation in Christ. We are people that have been born again. As we spent weeks from Hebrews chapter 11 Talking about faith That the true church of God The true people of God Whatever the name is On the sign outside It's not a denominational thing But rather it is a faith thing Whoever has faith In the Lord Jesus Christ As their Savior Those that have been forgiven of their sins Become a new creation Adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. We are the ones, those are the ones that are the true church of Christ. And so a church has to first and foremost be defined by those who know Christ, a unique identity. But understand this, and this is surprising sometimes, it's also people that have a unique authority. A unique authority. What does that mean? You see, local churches, true local churches on this earth, are embassies of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where God is, but we are embassies for that kingdom. I didn't say imbeciles. I said embassies, okay, embassies. We represent the kingdom of God in this distant land where we live, pardon me, as exiles. We find that's a theme throughout the New Testament that we don't belong here. We are sojourners, pilgrims. We are exiles passing through here. But while we are here, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. He actually uses that word. We have been duly authorized to speak for God, to speak the truth about God, and to speak the truth of God to the world. Now, with all of that background, let's read some scripture. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you that the points I'm going to share today don't come directly from this scripture, but I believe it is a passage that we just continue to have to return to if we talk about the church. And it's the book of Ephesians, the epistle of the church. As Paul writes, the first three chapters of Ephesians speaks about doctrinal truth. The second three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, talks about how to practically live in light of that truth. We're going to start over here with a prayer, and we're going to go into the practical application. We begin with chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, meaning what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God for it. Well, with those words, Paul talks about how we are to live out our faith as members of the Lord's kingdom, as representatives here on earth, as members members of a local body of Christ. He describes this life of faith as our walk. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, "Do not walk as the lost world walks. Your life needs to be different." He says in chapter 5 verse, tr- verse 2, "Walk in love." In chapter 5 verse 8, "Walk as children of light." In chapter 5 verse 15, "Walk circumspectly and wise." This whole idea of a walk fits in with what Paul wrote to the Colossians when he said, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Okay. Well, that's the admonition of Scripture. So back to the question. And let's go ahead and make it uh, very definite. Let's give some very strong action points. What are The responsibilities of church membership. Remember, responsibilities are not made up by the church, as some people think. They are not made up by some denomination. They are not made up or dreamed up by some religious hierarchical structure. But rather, gospel realities. New Testament biblical truths inform and define for us what are our responsibilities as members of this embassy of the kingdom of God here in Fayetteville, northwest Arkansas. I'm going to list six for you. And immediately I heard your heart do a flip-flop. You've taken now this long to get to the points, and you've got six of them. I'll mention them quickly. Number one, assemble together. First and foremost of the Lord's church, of our responsibilities, ahead of everything else, is to assemble together. It's what makes a church A church. The very word church that's translated in the New Testament, ekklesia, means congregation, community, assembly. You don't have a congregation or an assembly if people are scattered all over the countryside and never assemble together. If church members don't assemble, then there is no church. And this is what the writer of Hebrews said about that in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Do you like stirring people up? I do. It's my spiritual gift. I love I to kind of throw out things there in, in my words to my wife And just to get a reaction, I'm kidding, it's a joke, I just said that, I didn't mean it. Well, this stirring up is not to stir up to anger or frustration or irritation. This stirring up in Hebrews chapter 10 is to stir up to to good works, to stir up one another to love and good works. And he said, how do we do it? First and foremost, not neglecting to meet together. And then he acknowledged that's the habit of some, but don't let it be your habit. If you want to stir people up to good works and to love and to to serve God and to be better people, you got to show up in order to stir up. That's what he said. I just made that up right then, just then. I didn't have that anywhere in my notes. It just came to mind, so I said. You gotta show up to stir up. And to stir one another up to love and good works. He said, that's the habit of Psalm, but, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. the day is word day is capitalized there. You know what it means? It's talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about the day of judgment. It's talking about the day that Jesus is going to return to this earth literally, physically, tangibly and set everything right. and when Jesus returns to the earth, it'll be too late to make things right in your life then it'll be too late to make those decisions you've put off for so long it'll be too late to receive him then because time will have run out. And so he says as you get closer and closer and closer to that day be more faithful than ever to meet together. But I want to tell you Satan is having his way with many people who claim the name of Christ because church uh, membership, church participation, even among those who are in true Bible preaching and teaching churches has never been lower than it is today in this country. Did you know that? I kind of hate to say this. Did you know that any given Sunday, 25% of of the regular participating members of this congregation will not be here. A fourth of our congregation will be out any given Sunday. Some legitimately so for illness or other providential hindrances. But oftentimes it's just because people choose other things to do with their time. They trade away the eternal value of gathering together for something that is earthy, earthly, and temporary for all kinds of just other stuff. And so the writer says, hey, don't don't forget to assemble together. Now, there are a lot of things that we are commanded to do as Christians. We are to worship, right? We're to worship the Lord. Remember, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, God was seeking to raise up a worshiping community. And from Adam and Eve and their family, he moved on to the people of Israel and finally to the church. The Lord is seeking to build up a worshiping community. That's our responsibility. It's our privilege. It should be the greatest desire of our life to worship the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to pray. We are to serve one another and the world. We are to encourage one another. We are to give of our finances and our possessions. Worship involves sharing our stuff with God and using it for God's glory to show His worth. We are to receive communion together. We will do that tonight. We are to fellowship. But understand, all those things we're supposed to do, you got to come together and assemble in order to do them you got to assemble in order to do them the way the New Testament models. Okay, assemble together. Responsibility number two. Protect the gospel. Did you know that it was your responsibility as a Christian to protect the gospel that gets preached from this pulpit? One of our dear members that I love so much... Came into services a little while ago, and his greeting to me was, Hey, do you know where we could find us a good preacher? And I wouldn't tell you for a second that that was Bob Spears that said that to me. And I said to him very quickly, I'm doing my best to keep you from having one. It's your responsibility to protect the God. Now, you want a preacher who will preach the gospel, right? You want to feel like you have uh, confidence in what's preached from this pulpit that it's the truth, but understand this it is ultimately your responsibility to be sure that the gospel is protected. That if I step out of bounds in regards to the Word of God, if I stray into an area either through ignorance or or through some kind of meanness of spirit, you are to confront that in the right way. It's your responsibility. As Paul writes to the Galatians, the churches in the region of Galatia, in chapter 1, he says this. Listen to these words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul said, I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I can't believe it. That you're turning away from the true gospel, turning to a different gospel. And then he explains, not that there is another gospel. There's only one good news. Everything else is bad news. But there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do you think those people still exist today? Nod, yes. Absolutely they do. There are people who want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are those who want to say God is a God of love, and for that reason, He could never be a God of wrath or a God of judgment, that God's a God of love and that we all need to get together and just bask in the love of God and and that ultimately everybody's going to make it. There are those who want to advocate that and call it the gospel. If that's the case, Jesus died in vain. There are folks who want to say, there are many paths that lead through the forest, but they all get to the other side. If that's the case, then when Jesus tells us to share the gospel with the world, it is a meaningless endeavor. There are many people who want to say, oh, the idea of being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ having to be shed as a sacrifice, that that's some kind of slaughterhouse religion. And we shouldn't do that. That that influences and, and is an offense to the sensibilities of people. But my friend, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Nothing less than the shed blood of Jesus Christ in my place on a cross that had my name on it. If Jesus had not died there and shed his blood and stepped in as a substitution to do that on my behalf, I could never be saved, and neither could you. Your good works could never get you there. Some would say, you know, just do the best you can, be good to your neighbor. Be generous to those in need, and then at the end of time, when you stand before God, He'll put all of your good deeds on one side of the scale and all your your misgivings on the other side of the scale. And if the good outweighs the bad, then that's your ticket to heaven. Nothing could be more of an abomination to the truth of God. It's not your good works. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that we are saved. So you see, there are those who are seeking to distort the gospel. And in most cases, they don't just out and out reject Jesus altogether. They just reject the Jesus of the Bible. They make him into something that he's not. Or like Satan in the garden, the serpent in the garden of Eden. He didn't tell Eve to just disregard everything God says. He just put enough in her ear to cause her to doubt that God cared for her goodness. And the best for her. When Paul speaks these words to the Galatians, did you know that he's not talking to the church leaders He's not talking to the pastors. He didn't address, address the pastors. He addressed churches, meaning people in the pews, if they had pews. He's saying it's your job to protect the gospel. It's his understanding and every other apostle's understanding That every believer should mature enough in Christ that you don't have to have a degree in systematic theology, but you ought to be able to understand the gospel and know how to recognize what's counterfeit or what's false. Protect the gospel. Number three, our responsibility is to define our church's membership. Now, you'll notice there's no scripture to go with that. I don't have a single verse that says you be sure as church members to define your church membership. Now, I have truths and I have practices, but I don't have specific verses. Let me tell you why. Please listen to me. Don't get this wrong. In the days of the book of Acts and the days of the apostles, there was no other church. There was Judaism And there was paganism, and that was basically the religious world, okay? Judaism and paganism. The gospel was a new message. It grew out of Judaism, but it grew out of what Judaism had become, which was a false religion. And the gospel preached the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as people embraced that gospel and believed that gospel, and as they were born again, as they were made new into this new creation of person, going from spiritual death to spiritual life, the testimony of that was baptism. Nobody who got saved had to think about, hmm, should I be baptized or not? I want to wait and think about that for a while. No, in fact, it was so instantaneous, so closely tied with conversion that some have mistakenly come to the conclusion today that you have to be water baptized in order to get to heaven. That's not true. But in the New Testament, it was the mark of conversion. And once somebody was saved and baptized they were naturally now identified with the people of God in that particular community, whether it was Jerusalem or Antioch or Berea or Philippi or Ephesus or wherever it was. They didn't have uh, some kind of, uh, you know, option of there's all these different churches with all these different nuances of doctrine. There was just Judaism, paganism, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they naturally were identified as people of, as people of the church, people of, of God that were called Christians. Where they were first called Christians was at Antioch. Over the last 2,000 years, as the church has grown, and as false distortions of the gospel have entered in, and as different people have raised up different ideas, now has developed different denominations and different ideas and different churches, so-called churches. But still, there's only one true church And only the Lord is the one who can identify exactly who are his. But today, because this city is covered with those organizations that are meeting right now and calling themselves churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, and because some are preaching the truth and some are not preaching the truth, and because people move from area to area uh, with their jobs or their careers or, or just get mad at one place and move to another place and look for a new church, because of all that, it is incumbent upon us to be able to identify who are the members of this church. And guess what? That's your job as a church family. By receiving new members through baptism or transfer from another church, which we will do today, a local church tells the watching world, this person is a citizen of God's kingdom. By regularly fellowshipping together and taking the ongoing sign of church membership the affirming one another through the Lord's Supper, through the ordinances, we are recognizing those who are members in a covenant relationship in the church, the Lord's table, communion. In cases where the church is required by the Scripture to discipline a church member and dismiss a church member because of sin or because of creating disunity in the church. And the Bible talks about that. And Jesus even said that in Matthew 18 when he said that you are my church. And he says, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Because he said that. He's basically saying you are acting on behalf of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. All of these are the ways that we define our membership. When I came to be your pastor almost 10 years ago, and I looked at the membership role, quote, the membership role of Calvary Baptist Church. Do you know how many names were on that role? 921. And I'm going to tell you, if all 921 would just show up one Sunday, it would just usher us right on to heaven. But I'm going to tell you, many of those people had long since stepped away from the church just through neglect or moving and never said anything, never joined another church. Many of them were dead. Some of them, I'm convinced the Lord was still trying to find. I didn't mean that. I'm just stirring you up, okay? I'm just poking the bear. God knows where every single one of them is. But I wonder out of 900 and something, with so much neglect and so much disregard for the people of God, the things of God, and the worship of God, I wonder how many of them were true true Christians. Only God knows. Only God knows. Beloved, it's important for a church to define its membership. Number four. Very quickly, I'll close. We have a responsibility to love one another. Amen? Amen. Love one another. Jesus said in John 13, by this, by this, By this, men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not by what you say you believe, as important as it is to believe the right things. Not even by necessarily how you always live in the workplace or at school, although how you live at the workplace and school is very important. By this will all men know that you are followers of me, if you have love for one another. Now, the apostle John heard that, and years later, he wrote a letter. He wrote actually three letters, plus the book of Revelation. But in his first letter, in chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Beloved Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This kind of New Testament love is tangible. It's active. It is expressed through service. It is not just some kind of emotion or some kind of customary greeting. It is from the heart, and it's real. And it's expressed in all those other one another commands of the New Testament. Love one another is the the biggie. It's the one that we are told most often. But through loving one another, we learn how to encourage one another how to stir up one another to love and good works, how to serve one another, how to meet together with one another, how to show hospitality to one another, and on and on the list goes. The Bible says that when believers do that, the church builds itself up in love. The church builds itself up. Calvary Baptist Church, as I said a few weeks ago, will never be the biggest church in Fayetteville. And to be very honest, that's not even on my radar screen as a vision or a strategy or a goal. But we can be the most loving church. We can be the most generous church. We can be the most faithful church church. We can be the church with the greatest hope and confidence in God. There's so many things that really are the goal and are the strategy. And if we love one another, it means we won't be passive about the church's unity. It means we will seek to protect the unity of the church and to maintain that. It means that we won't leave wandering church members behind. It means that you will take the responsibility along with your pastors to contact and to reach out to those who have fallen out of church through neglect or disfavor of some kind. It means we'll take prayer seriously. We'll bear one another's burdens faithfully. We will put one another's interest ahead of our own. That's what it means to love one another. Number five, I am reluctant to say this one because it sounds so self-serving, but I would be unfaithful to the word if I did not. When you talk about the responsibilities of church membership, it is your responsibility as well as mine to submit to the pastors and shepherd leaders, the elders of this church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You will never be held responsible to give account for the soul of somebody else in this building, in this church, in our membership. But for Dan, for first and second, David, Bentley, and Cook, and for Justin, and for me, we will stand before God and give account for your soul. Now it doesn't mean that we can make the decision for salvation for you, or surrender to God's leadership. We can't make those decisions for you, but as your spiritual leaders, we are held accountable in some way in God's economy of all of that. Now, obviously, that does not mean it's your responsibility uh, responsibility to obey, to submit, to follow when we are off base. When we are not following the Lord, but when we are, it's your responsibility to submit to your pastors and your shepherd leaders. And the N6 would be through. It's your responsibility as a church member to evangelize the lost. To evangelize the lost. When Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't talking to just the apostles. He was giving a commission to his church. And that commission is for every Christian, not just pastors and missionaries. As members of this embassy of God here on earth, and as an ambassador for Christ, it's your job as well as mine to announce the message of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. He has seen to that. And he tells Paul, tells the Corinthians, because you've been reconciled to God, now you go and help reconcile others. We are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are a people for God's own possession. We are all of that. That we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What are the responsibilities of membership? What does it mean? We are to assemble together. We are to protect the gospel. We are to define our church's membership. We are to love one another. We are to submit to our leaders, our elders, our pastors. And we are to evangelize the lost. Everything else God tells His church to do can fit right there inside those six imperatives. No athlete joins a team hoping to sit on the sidelines every practice and game. Church membership is far more important than participating in team sports but sadly, individualism, consumerism, easy believism, and unbiblical church policies and practices have left many church members intentionally or unintentionally sidelined. Are you a member of the Lord's church? Don't settle for the bench, get off the bench. Jesus calls all of us to get up. And get to work about his kingdom. Will you make a decision to unite with the Calvary family? Maybe someone here needs to make that decision today. Will you make a commitment to get in the game and be an active, growing, contributing member instead of a bench warmer in God's kingdom? Perhaps you desire to be a part of the Lord's church, but to be very honest, you don't even have a real relationship with Christ. You don't know what it means to have Him living in your heart. Will you commit your life to Him? Will you repent of your sins? Confess your need of Christ and ask Him to come into your heart and save you today. Let's read our passage together. Would you do that with me? Galatians 6. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you for the power of it, for the challenge of it. I pray that we would know you as Savior That we would make commitments daily to be obedient to your call, your will, your purpose, and your plan for our lives. And may we, Calvary Baptist Church, may we be a fellowship that truly represents you faithfully in this place. Thank you for every family that's come our way today, for every individual. I pray that you bless them. I pray that you meet their need. And I pray that you speak to their hearts as only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Our hearts desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.